Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. I want to begin this morning with a very intimate, poignant question. What causes you to mourn? What has the ability to evoke your grief? Perhaps nothing is a greater indicator of your truest love than your truest sadness. I'll give you an embarrassingly trivial example from my life. I went to the game. Last night with my oldest son, and it was a bit of a surreal moment for me because I grew up in that same stadium, but my experience was nothing like what he got to experience last night. And it struck me last night in particular because we were playing LSU. Uh, when I was growing up, we only play LSU every few years now, but when I was growing up in the 80s, we played uh, LSU every year. And the first time that I cried as a football fan was over a loss to LSU. I was around seven or eight. They beat us like they always did. Um, our seats are right behind the, our season tickets growing up are right behind the opposing team's bench, and the players were uh, mocking the fans. And I just got overwhelmed and frustrated and turned to my dad and through tears said, Daddy, why can't we ever beat them? I, I don't remember what he said. He probably should have said, get used to it, kid. This is what you're signing up for the rest of your life. But this is... This is the moment I look back on and realize I had truly become a Kentucky football fan, that my father's fandom had become my fandom, so to speak. You see, grief, not joy, is actually a truer indicator of your love. Anyone can go to a football game and get caught in the excitement and cheer and so forth, but to shed tears, that means there's something deeper going on inside. It testifies that there must be this deep loyalty and love within. And so that's why I ask you this morning, what causes you to mourn less so than what brings you joy? You want to know what you love the most? What has the ability to cause you to mourn the most? And this is the question we are confronted with as we turn to our second beatitude. Jesus is going to get into kingdom of God mourning. What causes those within his kingdom to mourn? And we're going to look at it with the same two points as last week. We're going to divide the beatitude in half and look at the kingdom posture and then the kingdom promise. The kingdom posture is this. Blessed are those who mourn. Once again, this week, before we get into what that means, I think it's important to explain what it does not mean. It is common 
to assume that this is speaking to all forms of mourning. The problem, however, is that by interpreting this so generally, um, it loses its unique significance within the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, this is Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God specifically, and the Beatitudes are the blessed postures of those who belong to his kingdom. And so this has to be speaking to a form of mourning that is not natural to our world, but is natural within the kingdom of God. Again, what causes the members of his kingdom to mourn? So for example, everyone mourns the loss of a loved one. Everyone mourns in loneliness. Everyone mourns in heartbreak. Everyone mourns a terminal diagnosis. Everyone mourns when they have been sinned against by others. By its nature, this fallen world produces universal sorrow that is common to all of us, that all of us must experience. Now, of course, the Bible does speak to all forms of grief, but here we should not impose mourning that is common to all of us onto a mourning that is specific to the kingdom. And the clue that we are talking about something different here is the word blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourning over the loss of a loved one is a curse, not a blessing. It belongs to the fall, not to the kingdom. What Jesus is speaking of here is a paradoxical form of mourning that he actually views as a blessing. Quite literally, happy are the unhappy. Now, what could that possibly be? What is grief that brings joy? Well, it goes back to the first beatitude we discussed last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I said, blessed are those who tell the truth about themselves, who own and confess who they truly are in the presence of the king of the kingdom. Well, the second beatitude is the outworking of the first. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and now... Blessed are those who mourn over their poverty of spirit. Last week, blessed are those who see themselves for who they truly are. This week, blessed are those who lament what they now see. The first is confession. The second is contrition. And the latter is the truest indicator of the former's authenticity. It's one thing to confess your sins. It's another to mourn your sins. This is really, really, really important for all of us to hear, including myself. I would have gotten into it last week if I didn't know that this beatitude was coming this week. The danger in preaching through the beatitudes one at a time is that they are meant to be interpreted as a whole. And this is a perfect example why. The poor in spirit are not those who merely live in a perpetual state of confession, but those whose confession yields contrition. It is not uncommon for people to admit failures, particularly when they've been exposed and have no choice. It is also not uncommon for people to say they are sorry, again, particularly when they are exposed. These are things the world does. Do you know what you will not find in our world, but would revolutionize our world if practiced? People who mourn less over the consequences of their sins, but over the sin itself. 
Please understand that eventually sin will reap a bitter harvest. There are consequences to our sinful actions, and they will find us. They will find us out eventually, even if that be the judgment seat of Christ. And when they find us, everyone mourns. Everyone mourns that exposure and consequences. But what Jesus is advocating here for is the blessedness that comes from mourning our sin, whether exposed or not, despite consequences or not. Blessed are those who mourn over sin itself, not the painful outcome of sin. And the reason why this is a blessed life is that only mourning over sin rather than sin's consequences can lead to true repentance. If we only mourn the consequences of our sin, then our repentance is contingent upon exposure and consequences. But if we weep over sin itself, then we don't wait for exposure. We don't wait for painful consequences. We wait for nothing to rid ourselves of this source of our grief. You see, what is mourning exactly? Is it tears? Is it a feeling? Emotion? What does it mean to truly mourn over poverty of spirit? To mourn is to repent. And I'll show you that with a form of mourning that is familiar to everyone. Again, consider the loss of a loved one, for example. You mourn over that loss, and rightfully so. But what if, in that moment of grief, you could fix the source of your mourning? You could undo that which has caused you to mourn. You could somehow have your loved one back. Would you not give anything to have that? Of course you would. There is nothing you would not do to undo the cause of your mourning. Okay, now turn to the kingdom of God, where the greatest cause of our mourning is our sin. Question, can you do anything about that? Can you undo the source of your mourning? Can you address that which deeply grieves you? Yes. The glorious news of this is, yes, you can. You can repent. And in this way, repentance becomes the test of our mourning. For if you truly are grieved, then why would you not rid yourself of that which causes you grief? And that's a serious question, by the way. I offer that with the utmost sincerity. What are you doing holding on to what has and always will bring you so much sorrow? O sinful people, says the prophet Isaiah, O sinful people, laden with iniquity, why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot to the head, there is no soundness, only bruises and sores and raw wounds. Friends, what are you doing? Why will you not mourn that which brings so much mourning in your life? Why are you not grieved by your sins? We grieve the sins of others. We grieve the sins of the world. And yet when it comes to our sins, the very sins that harm us the most, there is indifference and perhaps even allegiance. Oh, that we would mourn the greatest source of our mourning. And if you will... If you will lament and repent, then waiting for you is this blessed promise. You shall be comforted.
We've seen the kingdom posture. Turning now to the kingdom promise, we must again resist the temptation to generalize this. The Bible is replete with redemptive promises for all forms of grief. But again, this beatitude is specific. To those tears only the citizens of the kingdom shed. Those peculiar Christian tears over our poverty of spirit. And so the promise of comfort should be interpreted in view of this unique type of mourning. Listen, I do not want to downplay the many problems that are in this room. I know, I know there is so much pain and sorrow here this morning. And yet I do still want to speak candidly and say this. There is no problem we have like the problem that we have been discussing this morning. Our poverty of spirit remains the issue of all issues. Consider the ministry of Jesus, for example. Oh, how comforting he was to the mournful of every type. He healed the diseased. He welcomed the outcast and lonely. He fed the hungry. He freed the demonically oppressed. He even raised the dead. Just a fountain of comfort to all forms of grief. But consider what that required of him. Just a word. Just a touch from Jesus. And these sadnesses came untrue. But what about the poor in spirit? What did it require Jesus to bring comfort to the poor in spirit? Isaiah tells us. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has, poor, he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Does that famous passage land differently now? Why is the Son of God grieving? What has he done wrong? Nothing. But Jesus is mournful over your sins, even if you are not. And if he is going to make good on his promise in our, pas- our passage to bring, more, to bring comfort to the sinful mourners, then it would require that he himself must become a man of sorrows. He himself must become acquainted with grief. And so that's what he did. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. And he carried them all the way to Calvary's tree for the deepest mourning that will ever be experienced. Please listen, you may... Not grieve the depths of your poverty of spirit, but Jesus has. He has known the sorrow of your sin far more than you will ever know it. You could spend a lifetime of tears over the depths of your sinfulness and never reach the bottom. But on that day, on that cross, Jesus reached the bottom. So are you ready to truly mourn this morning? Look what you've done to Jesus. Forget what your poverty of spirit has done to you. Forget what is done to others. Look, sinner, at what you have done to Jesus. See the man of sorrows, bear your grief, and grieve what you have done. Will you not mourn that which caused the Son of God to mourn? And remember, to mourn is to repent. Will you not now repent? We can never take back what we have done to Jesus. What we can do 
is spend the rest of our life lamenting and repenting of the sorrow we caused him. And in this way, the truest meaning of this beatitude is revealed. On an ultimate level, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn what they have done to me. And so we lament and repent. Lament and repent. Lament and repent. Of course, not perfectly, but steadfastly, this is now our life. We lament and repent until that blessed day when the promise of this beatitude comes to pass and you shall be comforted. This one's a future promise, an eschatological promise. We taste of his pardoning comfort by the comforter, the Holy Spirit, but there will be a day, a most blessed day, when the comfort of a full, final, and forever pardon will be granted to the mournful. That day when Jesus himself will wipe every tear from every eye. I wonder how you now interpret that future promise that we all love. Specifically, what is the source of those tears that Jesus will wipe away? Of course, it has implications for a lifetime of fallen trauma we have experienced. Of course, we who are bruised and battered from the fall weep, and we need the healing comfort only Jesus provides. But in light of what we've been discussing this morning, when you stand before Jesus one day, when you see his scars that you caused, I have to believe that the source of our tears in the presence of Jesus will not be what was done to us, but what we did to Jesus. We will mourn like never before. We will weep like never before when we stand before the man of sorrows in full realization that we caused his sorrow. This will be the most mournful experience we will ever have. But it will not last long. Because Jesus, with those same scarred hands, will wipe your tears. And perhaps even quote this beatitude. Remember, sinner, what I said. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, here is your comfort. All is well. You are fully and forever forgiven. And tears of sadness will give way to tears of joy. And those are tears that are allowed to flow in the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me tell you who is going to appreciate that moment the most those who have mourned their sins the most. My son and I were driving home from the game last night. He was happy, but I said to him, you have no idea. Kids these days thinking this is normal. Suffered through 40 years waiting for a season like this to unfold. And it's that 40 years of mourning that makes this so amazing. The thief on the cross is obviously an amazing story. A lifetime of hardened unrepentance with one dying act of mournful contrition, he hears today, you will be with me in paradise. We rightfully celebrate such amazing grace, but I don't envy his story. 
For what will it be like for the saint who spent a lifetime in mourning over their poverty of spirit? Fighting their sins, struggling and failing, but always lamenting and repenting. What will it be like for the precious follower Jesus after a lifetime of mourning what we have done to Jesus to finally have that same Jesus comfort us with his forgiveness? That's who I want to be. And that's who I want you to be. The deeper the mourning, the greater the joy. So again, I ask you this morning this question. What causes you to mourn? There are many answers to that question. I don't mean to minimize those answers. But for the follower of Jesus, for the citizens of his kingdom, the answer of all answers is our poverty of spirit. Brothers and sisters, above all else, mourn your sins. Lament and repent for what you have done to Jesus. And those who do are promised what Jesus has done for them. Blessed are those who mourn for what they have done to Jesus, for they shall be comforted by what Jesus has done for them. Let me pray. And so grant us this comfort, O God. We struggling sinners who hate our sins, mourn our sins, fight our sins, fall and get back up in repentance, stumbling but ever-repenting sinners. We come again to your table until we hear that day that we are fully and finally forgiven and you wipe our tears. Lord, you have given us this oasis of comfort. So would it do its work by the power of your Holy Spirit in our souls. Comfort us all in Jesus' name. Amen.